0: Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to not just know your wonderful gospel, but to live it out in our lives. May we be not just hearers, but doers of your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, as a child, you probably heard the little limerick, I guess it's called. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Well, we're broken people. We live in a broken world with other broken people. And you put all that brokenness together, and sometimes our relationships, like Humpty Dumpty, fall off the wall. Can our relationships be put back together again? We come this morning to one of the most important topics in all the Bible, forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's one that is not just important to the Bible, but it's important seemingly to Americans. There is a poll taken, and 94% of Americans agree that importance, they have the importance of forgiveness, but sadly, in that same poll, only 48% said that they try to forgive others. You know, why is it that 94% say we should forgive, but 48% only say they try to? What does it even mean to forgive someone, and does this that mean we need to forgive them for everything? Why should we even forgive at all? This morning we'll see the depth of our understanding of God's forgiveness of our sins is revealed in the depth of our forgiveness of others' sins. If you have a bulletin or the little handout I make, you can see three parts of the sermon. First, we'll see God's forgiveness. That's the grounding. We have to understand that. And then we'll look at our forgiveness but I'm going to end by looking at four common misunderstandings of forgiveness. Because we use the word, but I think we often use it incorrectly. But first, God's forgiveness. And the desire for God to forgive is part of his character. You may re- be re- remember the story in Exodus when Moses has gone. He's delivered the people out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. And then he asked to see God's glory And God passes by him. And after he passes by, God declares, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. You know, God's declaration of himself as being a forgiving God is the only solid foundation for believing that God forgives. You know, I may strongly believe that my bank's going to forgive my loan. But unless they say to me, we're the type of bank that forgives loans, I have no basis for thinking that. I may really strongly believe it, I might hope for it, I might wish for it, but all my wishing and hoping doesn't make my bank be the type of bank that forgives loans. And we may want God to forgive sins. We may hope He forgives sins. But only if He says, I'm the type of being who forgives sins, do we have any hope that He will forgive our sins. And it's not just there throughout Scripture. Earlier I read Psalm 103, the first couple of verses. Later in that Psalm, it says, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Notice God's forgiveness is that he does not repay us according to our iniquities. One of the ways the Bible explains sin is that it makes us indebted to people. Earlier we said the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. Our sin is a debt that we owe someone. Well, what do we owe God? Well, the wages. What we've earned from our sin is death. We owe Him our very life because of our sin. And yet the amazing promise of Psalm 103 is that God does not send collection agencies after us to make us pay off our debt. Rather, He removes our debt from us. And how far does He remove our debt from us? It says, as far as the east is from the west. Now, when I was a child, I saw them all over the place in school. I don't see them as much anymore because we have phones, but we used to have globes. You'd grab that little spinning ball, and sometimes you'd spin it as a kid, and where's my finger stop? That's where I'm going to live, and hope you didn't end up in the islands. No offense, Katie. But you would figure out. Now, on a globe, if you start going east, so from here you start going to Dallas, and eventually you'd hit water, so hopefully you're in a plane. You keep going east. When do you start going west? Well, never. East goes all the way around the globe, and then you can go as many times as you want. The East never meets the West. How far does God remove our transgressions from us? As far as the East is from the West. Completely away from you. And we need to realize that while God does not treat us relationally according to our sins, there may still be consequences on earth for those sins that God has forgiven us for. For example, when David sinned with Bathsheba, God forgave him, but their child still died. And sometimes churches have a real trouble with this. They think, well, we've forgiven them. Can we hold them account in any way? Well, if a church treasurer, and praise God, we've never had any question of this happening, but if a church treasurer stole money, we could forgive them and also say, but we're not going to let you hold the checkbook anymore. There's no contradiction in those things. We can forgive you relationally. We can welcome you in our homes and also say, but your actions have took away the right to have the checkbook. Or we get something extreme, which we probably all would agree with. If you have a babysitter and they abuse your children, you can forgive them and also say, but I'm never going to let you watch my children again. That doesn't mean you're not forgiving. There can still be repercussions on earth while you forgive them of their actions at this point many people make a serious mistake they misunderstand God's forgiveness and this was illustrated well by a story told by Don Carson some of you may know him earlier in his life he went to Europe to improve his study skills and while he was there he made friends with a man from West Africa and they got to know each other over time and Don started to note that his friend would disappear once or twice to the red light district of where they lived and so once Don, since he was his friend, he said, what would you do if you found out your wife was doing what you were doing? And without a pause, the man replied, well, I'd kill her. And Don retorted, well, that's a kind of a bit of a double standard, don't you think? His friend responded, well, you don't understand. Where I come from, the husband has the right to sleep with as many women as he wants. But the woman, if she does, she's killed. Well, Don replied, but you were raised in a missionary school You know that the God of the Bible doesn't have a double standard like that? And his friend brightly smiled and said, Ah, God is good. He's bound to forgive. That's his job. And that's how many people think of God. You know, God, he just forgives. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't even matter if you're not repentant. God, he's just a God of forgiveness. While the desire to forgive is part of God's character, his forgiveness is never arbitrary or given in the face of unrepentant sin. Let's focus on that first part. God's forgiveness is not arbitrary. You see the payment for the forgiveness. Remember, what do we what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is when a debt is taken away. So how's that debt taken away? The forgiveness, the payment for forgiveness is the shed blood of the lamb of God. And we see this throughout the Bible. What happened right after Adam and Eve sinned? God made clothes for them from an animal to cover their shame the shame that came from their sin so for their sin to be covered an animal had to be killed this is later made clear in genesis 22 when god called abraham to sacrifice his son isaac and they're going on the way and isaac's going where is going to be the sacrifice abraham got said god will provide the lamb And then the exact same spot where God came and he delivered Isaac by an animal, on that same mountain is where the temple was later built. And what was the temple? What were those sacrifices all about? Well, Leviticus 4.20 tells us, As the priest did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do this, and the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. The whole point of the sacrificial system was to show that the blood of the lamb, the blood of the animal, would be the payment for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, all of this is showing is that God doesn't just arbitrarily forgive us. He doesn't just say, well, yeah, I'm not going to worry about that. No, for there to be forgiveness, there had to be a payment. In this case, God said the payment had to be the blood of the lamb. That's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus and he said, behold, the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus realized his mission was to come and forgive sins. Thus, when the paralytic man was brought to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, son, you're healed. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders were shocked. They're said, Well, you can't do this. No one can forgive sins, but God alone. And they were right, and Jesus was trying to drive them that point, that you're correct, and I am God, and I came to forgive sins. And thus, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, what do we read when we take the cup? This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he met with his disciples, and he's explaining to them the scriptures and what they're to do In Luke 24, it says, This is is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all the nations. Even in our letter, we've been studying the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7. Flip over and notice what that says. Ephesians 1, verse 7. As Paul is praising all the things that God has done for us in Christ. He says in verse 7, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. So there had to be the blood. What is that? The forgiveness of our trespasses. Jesus came to give His blood, to be the blood of the Lamb, to give us forgiveness. And Jesus' payment was so complete that His forgiveness is perfect and complete. Thus, Jesus told the repentant thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, well, I have forgiven you, but you now need to go somewhere, and after many years of working off the extra amount that I couldn't cover, you're then going to be with me in paradise. You know, To insinuate that you need to do anything, or that you have to spend some years somewhere to work off your sin, is to attack the perfect sacrifice of Christ. His shed blood was perfect for your full forgiveness. But just as people misunderstand, just as people think, well, God just forgives. It's no big deal. I didn't matter what I do. People also misunderstand who is forgiven because not everyone will be forgiven. Rather, the receival of forgiveness comes by faith in the blood of the Lamb. Thus, if you don't trust in the name of God, if you don't trust in Jesus, you will have to pay the debt for your sins. You know, Jesus had a thief on either side of him on the cross, but he only said to one of them, today you'll see me in paradise. The other one would not see him. And in fact, while God delights to forgive there is more than once in the Bible where God determines to let people who are bent on rebelling to get their own desires, and that they will never be forgiven. One example is Deuteronomy 29, 18-20 that warns, Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. So basically, he's saying, look... I know the covenant. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to rebel against God. He's forgiving. It doesn't matter. It goes on though and says, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smote against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. You know, the very point is, yes, we need the blood of the lamb, but our faith in that means that we confess the sins that we have done. That we say that they are sinful. You know, faith manifests itself in confession of sin. A sorrow for sin and a turning from sin. You probably have heard the verse Second Chronicles seven fourteen: If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. One of the memory verses we've had this summer in our children's Sunday school, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, we're not forgiven because we forsake them, but the sign that we actually trust what God is saying is that we say, well, I'm not going to do the very thing that God just sent His Son to die for. Thus, there is this joyful truth that God desires to forgive, but there's also this serious warning that to claim God's forgiveness, while unrepentantly just going on with your sin, is a danger that you should avoid. You should flee from your sin and trust in Christ's forgiveness. You know, to cling to your sin or not care about it is to misunderstand what the Bible says about God's forgiveness and be on dangerous ground. Our forgiveness is not based on our doing good first, but rather our turning shows that we've truly trusted in Christ. And yet sadly, even in Christian circles, even in religions around the world, people miss this. They think their forgiveness is based on what they do, their goodness. Many of you all have known my friend Richie. He's come here a couple times and preached. He was a missionary in India. And there, there's an important hill to the Hindus called Arana Chala. I apologize if I misspoke that. But on top of this hill is a temple. And they're told, if you walk around the temple, with it always on your right, barefoot, and you either are silent the whole time or say the God of the temple's name the whole time, you'll be forgiven for your sins. Now, I'm sure many of you inside are like, boy, that is the dumbest idea. Walk around a hill and say a name, on, and I go barefoot, I'm going to be forgiven. Well, that, that's just dumb. And yet, many people, if you were asked, you know, if it was just you and me sitting, I said, well, why is God going to forgive you? Yes, you know, we're Christians. We say God's going to forgive us. But I say, but why would God forgive you? Well, I've been a good person. I go to church. I take care of my kids. You know, I see all these parents, they don't care, but I I take care of my kids. I'm not going out doing all this. You're saying all the things you're doing. And yet our hope is not the things we do for God. Our hope is only in the shed blood of the Lamb. And others... They just try to avoid their guilt. They just fill their life with busyness. There's always music. There's always stuff going on. Because to stop and sit and think about their sin is overwhelming. You know, in our positive self-esteem culture, we tell everyone, you're okay. You're good. It's no big deal. And yet, people literally beat themselves. They'll punch themselves. People literally cut themselves. Because I am a horrible person. I deserve to be punished. And we shouldn't turn around and go, no, 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 you shouldn't. As Christians, we should say, yes, you're right. But there is good news. The punishment you deserve, you don't need to inflict it on yourself. God inflicted the punishment you deserve on his son. There is forgiveness in no other name than Jesus. So friends, you can know That God will deal with you not according to your sins and not repay you if you turn and trust in the blood of his son. And all of that, understanding all of that is then foundational to what Paul tells us today. Because in Ephesians 4.32 he says, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. So understanding God's forgiveness, we now need to turn and understand our forgiveness. Because in our lives, we often have those humpty-dumpty moments. Everything seems broken. We wonder, look, can we put this back together? Like we had this great thing, and then they did that, or they said that, and now everything's just shattered. Can we put this all back together again? Yet the power of the gospel empowers us to do the difficult task, of putting our relationships back together again. Let's start with something small and work our way up. Imagine something simple. You're leaving this morning and as you're going, someone doesn't see you and they rush by and they bump you and knock everything you have over and they don't even know it. Now, you're right to be upset. That person was careless. They just went through, didn't look, knocked my stuff over. And you could go to them and you could say, hey, you offended me. You sinned against me. But... We have a secret arsenal in our relational baggage. Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's a glory to overlook an offense. You don't actually have to go to them and bring it up. You could just overlook it. Yes, it was a sin, but you can just go, you know what? I'm just going to let it go, and I'm going to forgive them for that. And with the people you live with or work with or play with you probably have multiple issues like this throughout the day if you were to seek exact justice for every single time you were wronged you wouldn't have much time to do anything besides work through all the issues of your day and yet as christians we have the glorious ability to just you know they just kind of they didn't mean to but they just really offended me i'm gonna overlook it i'm gonna go on And yet sometimes it's more serious or sometimes it's over and over and we do need to talk to them about it. You know, you have your living room, you have your toys, you have whatever, you have it situated just the way you want and that person, that sibling, they do what they always do. They come in and you come home and they've moved it. I told them to not touch my toys and they've come in my room again. What do you need to do? Well, we read it earlier, Matthew 18, Jesus instructs us. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You don't take their sin and then go talk to others about it, gossip. You don't take their sin and talk to yourself about it, bitterness. You go and talk to them and you seek to restore that relationship. You seek reconciliation not retribution In response to jesus command you know peter's words peter says well lord well how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times now peter here probably thinks that he is being quite pious because he's giving this perfect number seven and the rabbis at that time taught you only need to forgive someone three times so peter's like more than doubling so he's probably waiting for jesus to say oh peter oh ho, 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 my merciful pious service seven times oh ho, ho, ho. no 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 and yet jesus says either 77 or seven times seven but he doesn't mean 78 is when you stop or 70 times 7 491 you can stop forgiving no jesus point is you need to infinitely keep forgiving And then Jesus tells that powerful and convicting story that was read for us earlier of the unforgiving servant. You know, the servant owed his king a debt. Basically, if you kind of do some math, you know, it's always hard to figure out from their day to ours. But 200,000 years worth of wages. So take whatever you make a year, multiply it by 200,000, and that's how much you owe. And the king calls him in and says, I want it paid back. And what does the servant do? He falls on his feet. He begs for mercy. And then, I've often missed this, but I heard someone point out, he says something ridiculous. Do you know what he said? Give me enough time and I'll pay you back. I mean, this man has not come to grips with the depth of his sin. And when we try to go to God and say, okay, I'll go to church. All right, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to do all these things. We're like that man. We haven't come to understand the depths of our sin. If you think merely doing some good deeds is going to take care of your sin problem before God, you have not grasped the holiness of God. The king, though, instead of going, okay, I'll give you more time, he's compassionate. He's merciful, so he just forgives the man his debt. Well, tragically, in the story, that servant, who's just forgiven 200,000 years worth of salary, He goes and finds another servant who owes him three or four months. Now, three or four months pay for any of us, that's a large amount of money. But you put it on the scales of 200,000 years, and it's like a speck of dust. And what does he do? He demands the money back. And then in almost identical words, the servant who's now being told pay back pleads for mercy. Almost exactly the same. Give me mercy and more time, and I'll pay you back. And yet... The servant who had been forgiven says no. And he throws them into prison. So when the king, when the master finds out what this unforgiving servant has done, he rhetorically asked, should you have not had mercy like I had mercy on you? You see, there was a moral obligation on his part, for since the master forgave, so should he. This was not, well... You know, however God leads you, you know, if God's leading you to forgive them, then you should forgive. But if God's not leading you to forgive, you know, that's between you and God. No, because God has forgiven us, we are obligated to go and forgive others. Jesus is telling us it's sinful to withhold mercy. And so the story ends by the king throwing him in prison saying, you'll be in there until you pay it off. And Jesus concludes that God will do the same to us if we don't forgive from our heart. So wait, is the story telling us that to be forgiven, we have to forgive others? Isn't this saying our forgiveness is our works that we earn it? Well, in the Lord's Prayer, what did we pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, if God forgave you the way you're supposedly forgiving others, would you truly be forgiven? Right after that, in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6 at least, it says, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now think back to Jesus' story of the unforgiving servant. The servant had a debt he could not pay off. Jesus is not now at the end of the story changing the scenario and going, oh, actually you could pay it off with lots of time. No, he's saying, look, those who've really drunk at the deep well of God's divine forgiveness will then share that same sweet, cool water of forgiveness with those who have sinned against them. Jesus is not teaching that we earn our salvation or that we can lose it. No, he's saying the evidence of being forgiven is forgiving others. Jesus says this because we'll never forgive anyone more than God has already forgiven us. Yet, the practical outworking of this, we can understand this, but then we go and we try to live this out, often gets misunderstood. So let's end with four common misunderstandings of forgiveness. The first one is, Forgiveness is not forgetting, but rather a promise. Psalm 103.10 did not say God forgets our sins, as though God has some kind of divine amnesia. But rather it says He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities. Likewise, we can be fully aware of someone's sin, and not deal with them according to their sin. Now, when people say, I forgave, but I've not forgotten... We can kind of mean two different things. Let's talk about two sides. The first side of that is we might be frustrated. Look, I'm trying to forgive them, but I just can't forget. It keeps coming up in my mind. I'm so frustrated. I want to forgive them. Well, you shouldn't feel guilty for remembering. You can't go into your brain and erase memories. Ken Sandy has an excellent book called The Peacemaker. And in it, he writes, forgetting is a passive process in which a matter fades from memory merely with the passing of time. Forgiving is an active process. It involves a conscious choice and a deliberate course of action. And that conscious choice is a promise with at least three aspects. When you tell someone I forgive you, what it should mean is you're not going to bitterly dwell on what they did. It means you promise not to use it as leverage in future conversations or to get revenge. You're promising when you say I forgive you to not bring it up in front of others in order to harm them and their reputation. Thus, you might remember their actions for years. But what do you do each time it comes up? You again mentally forgive them. So forgiving doesn't mean you forget. When you tell them you forgive, it's a promise. And over and over you're reminding yourself, Look, God, I've done so much worse to you that I'm going to forgive them. For this. And yet, sometimes people aren't saying, Well, I've forgiven, but I haven't forgotten, not as a misunderstanding and they're frustrated that they want to forget, but rather because they're just not forgiving. It's basically a cover. They're hiding behind that phrase, I can't forget to say, and I'm going to continue to hold this against you. Now, we mentioned earlier, yes, sometimes there are repercussions. Yes, there are times that things and consequences will come but friends be very careful of hiding your lack of forgiveness with well but i won't forget A second misunderstanding another misunderstanding of forgiveness is thinking that forgiveness is basically saying injustice is okay or what they did is fine that's not what the bible means when it calls us to forgive forgiveness looks wrong in the face calls it wrong and yet does not deal with them according to what they did as wrong. When you say, I forgive you, you're not saying, well, it's okay that you murdered my sibling. You're not saying, you know, it's no big deal that you share that secret I shared with you. You're not saying, look, it's okay that you just destroyed my possessions. Rather, what you're saying is, it was wrong. And yet, I'm not going to hold you to account for it. You are relatedly, some say, well, I just can't let them get off scot-free because they'll never learn. Well, that's where we need to remember you can forgive and have repercussions. You know, you could forgive a rapist while still being the lead witness at the trial. You're able to forgive them while knowing that on earth they need to receive the punishment and be kept from others. So when we say, I forgive you, we are not in any way saying that their actions are okay or no big deal. But this misunderstanding, you know, this idea that forgiveness means saying their actions are okay, actually is probably something that occurs regularly in most homes. Let me give a scenario. It goes like this. Tommy comes home. He gets angry. He yells. He says very cutting and biting things to his wife, Jasmine. Well, Jasmine responds with rehashing all the ways that Tommy is failing to live up to the husband she had hoped he would be. They storm off. It's an icy afternoon around the house. And that evening, Tommy comes in and he says, Jasmine, honey, I hate it when we're mad at each other. I really don't like it when we get angry. You know, I've been so stressed at work. and I just, I took it out on you. And Jasmine replies, well, that's okay. You know, I wish I didn't respond so harshly but you just push all my buttons. I'm glad we're working things out. They smile, they kiss, and they feel like they've forgiven each other. Well, you might be thinking, well, what's so wrong with that? They've made up. Yet, if you notice, Tommy merely said he hates when they're upset and that his work is what caused his anger. He didn't own up to anything. There's nothing that he asked forgiveness for. He didn't say, you know, and when I was angry, I said these biting things and they were rude. And yes, I didn't mean all of it, but from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and I kind of meant some of it. True forgiveness. Now, true forgiveness doesn't mean you need to go back and videotape, rehash every comment. We never get out of these things. But it does mean we need to own up and say, it wasn't just that I've had a tough time at work. I was sinful, and I sinned against you. And what about Jasmine? Well, she blamed him on her actions. Well, you know, you push all my buttons. Well, no, she's responsible and she should say, I'm sorry the way I did X, Y, and Z. And while this skirmish is over, everything seems to be at peace. He still thinks all those bitter things he said, and she still has all those things that she hates about how he is as a husband. They have not actually worked through anything. Their relationship is like a burnt cake in which they just take some icing and spread it over the top and they go, oh. It looks so sweet. And yet, have anything that gets just past the surface, you're going to see the burnt cake all over again. To have true forgiveness is to get in and get out and talk about those things and own your sin. Confess it so you can actually forgive them, not for some amorphous, when I'm busy I get angry, but I simply got angry at you. And so... We have to be careful of this misunderstanding of forgiveness that just thinks, Oh, we just say everything's okay, and that's forgiving. Well, a third misunderstanding of forgiveness is to think that it's free or easy. Because rather, it is very costly. As we said earlier, forgiveness costs God the greatest cost, the death of His only Son, Jesus. Rather than taking a payment for our debt, He took the payment on himself. Likewise, when we're sinned against, we can either get our pound of flesh, as we say, or we can absorb the cost on ourself. And we often make them pay actively by constantly reminding them of their sin. Or we're also adept at making them pay passively by a cold attitude, by being distant. Either way, you're always either making them pay for the sin, or you're taking that payment on yourself and the costly nature of this is why it's so unnatural i hope you don't hear this sermon and think oh well pastor's just saying jesus forgave us so it's easy we just go home and forgive others no big deal not at all ken sandy again in his book has an excellent prayer he writes and praise god i cannot forgive him in my own strength in fact i don't want to forgive him at least not until he suffered for what he did to me He does not deserve to get off easy. Everything in me wants to hold it against Him and keep a high wall between us so He can never hurt me again. But Your Word warns me that unforgiveness will eat away at my soul and build a wall between You and me. More importantly, You have shown me that You've made the supreme sacrifice, giving up Your own Son in order to forgive me. Lord, please help me want to forgive. Please change my heart and soften it so that I can no longer want to hold this against Him. Change me so that I can forgive and love him the way you have forgiven and loved me. And like that prayer, we often need to just be honest before God and say, you know, right now, I don't have the smallest inkling of desire to forgive them. I want to punish them. And then we need to do as the prayer did and remind ourselves of the gospel. You know, just like your car will stop without gas or electricity, your forgiveness will stop If you are not daily taking in God's recharging forgiveness, you must fill up your tank or your batteries with the energy of God's forgiveness so that you can then overfill and overflow with forgiveness towards others. And we need to realize, even when we promise forgiveness, healing and reconciliation may take time. Yes, you can say, I forgive you. But sometimes the words or the actions cut so deep, you have to know that I've sinned against you and it might take months, it might take years for us to have that feeling of love and warmth that we once had. And so we should not, if we're the offender, the one who committed the sin, be like, well, you said you've forgiven me. Well, your actions might take time for them to have your trust back. Yes, they've forgiven you, but there's still some repercussions. Well, the last misunderstanding is that, and this is going to be a little wordy, so I'm going to explain it. The last misunderstanding is that transacted forgiveness is not the same as attitudinal forgiveness. So, transacted and attitude. What's a transaction? We go to the store, we make a transaction. That's when things exchange. That's a transaction. Attitude is something inside of us. And this is important because we have common scenarios that Christians go, well, what do I do? How do you forgive someone who's dead? Well, you can't have a transactional forgiveness because there's no one to exchange with. They're gone. Or you did something to them years ago or they did something to you years ago and you don't even know where they live. How do you actually forgive them or get their forgiveness? Well, what do you do? Well, we should always have an attitude of forgiveness. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer said, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. We're praying to God. As when we come to God, we should always have an attitude that God, I want to forgive this person. And yet, sometimes there's a third scenario or another scenario. What if the other person won't confess? What if they won't repent? What if they are continuing in their action? Are we supposed to forgive them? Well, let's think about what we said earlier. We said, we forgive as God forgave us. Has God forgiven every single person? Well, no. Does God want to forgive every, every single person? Yes. Does God show love and kindness to every single person? Yes. That's what we should have. Every single person who sinned against us, we should have an attitude of forgiveness. No matter what they've done, even if they're still our enemies. We should be seeking to love them. But on earth, while we should always have attitudinal forgiveness, we may not get to have that transactional forgiveness. You know, if they're still saying, well, basically giving you the bird and I don't care about you, I'm not sure it's wise to say, well, I forgive you. I think it'd be wiser to say, I want us to work this out. I want us to reconcile and I desire thus to be restored. I want to forgive you, but... We can't have that forgiveness when you're still not wanting to return. Just as God does not give us forgiveness when we want to return. Now, don't misunderstand. That's not a woohoo. I get to hold a grudge sometimes because they don't want to repent. No, you should have the attitude that as soon as they go, I've been sinning against you, that you go, I've been praying for years and I want now to transact. I want to say, I forgive you. I want to give you a hug. And so, Friends, don't misunderstand forgiveness. Let me share one quote and then end with an illustration story. John Stott writes, If we can restore to full and intimate fellowship with ourselves a sinning and unrepentant brother, we reveal not the depth of our love, but its shallowness. For we are doing what is not for His highest good. Forgiveness, which bypasses the need for repentance, issues not from love, from sentimentality i know for some of you this is a very hard sermon it's easy to delight in god's forgiveness but then you have that person that comes to your mind and yet by the power of the gospel you can put it back together again trust in god keep praying that the person who sinned against you will confess and keep praying, God, would you help me to have that attitude of forgiveness towards them? Would you stir them so that we can have that transaction in which we are restored in our relationship? Many years ago, a Turkish officer raided and looted an Armenian, that's not the theological, this is with an E, Armenian home. He killed the aged parents and he gave the daughters to the soldiers, keeping the elder daughter from self. Sometime later, she escaped and was able to have a life as a nurse. As time passed, she found herself nursing in a ward of Turkish officers. One night, by the light of lanterns, she saw the face of this officer. He was so gravely ill that without exceptional nursing, he would die. The days passed, and he recovered. One day... The doctor stood by the bed with her, the nurse, and said to him, But for her devotion to you, you would be dead. He looked to her and said, We've met before, haven't we? Yes, she said, we've met before. Why didn't you kill me? He asked. She replied, I'm a follower of him who said, Love your enemies. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you've done so much more than that story. You have given Your own Son when we have continually rebelled against You. And Lord, we know how much it hurts to be sinned against, and yet we barely fathom how much it hurts when we sin against You. But would we delight in Your forgiveness? Would You then help us to overflow in forgiveness to others? Lord, You know the hurt and pain even in this room. So I ask now that your spirit would come and give comfort, peace, and wisdom to those in the various challenging situations we face in which we want to forgive, and yet you have not allowed that to happen yet. Lord, give us hearts like yours. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.